I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to the Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. And like always, I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Josiah. Josiah, the sun is shining, the birds are chirping, and I actually hear the church bells about a couple minutes ago when it struck noon. So how are you doing aside from all of the craziness going on around us? <laughs> I'm smiling. I'm excited to be spending time with you together and in the studio today. I think we're in for a treat and so mm -hmm. is the listener. Yeah. And we know that we have a lot of new listeners all across the globe, all across the it's U.S., true. from Canada. Um, people from all over have reached out to us saying that they have become listeners. So for somebody who's just tuning in, how in the world can they get plugged into this community? Yeah, there's a Facebook community. It's just called Young Adult Ministry Leaders. You'll find 1,300 brand new friends mm -hmm. there if you join, as well as new content drops every Monday morning That's early. Right. So thanks for listening. It's a joy to come into your earbuds or your stereos mm -hmm. and let's get started. Let's get started. Well, we have a very important guest that we have received one of their books. They are an author. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it. So I will let you introduce who is that special guest that we have behind the scenes today. This episode has been two and a half years in the making. Can you believe it? We're joined today by pastor Steve Ryan Carter. How are you? I'm good. It is so good to be with you guys. We're excited. Thanks for saying yes. And by the way, um, Steve is a pastor, speaker, author, multiple podcast host. He's yeah. a sports enthusiast, as well as the former teaching pastor at Willow Creek Community Church. And Steve simply has a passion to bring Jesus into everything he does, whether it's on a Zoom call podcast like this one, <laughs> a day-to-day -day interaction, or teaching and preaching. Um, it is worth noting he is a very gifted teacher. He spends his days crafting sermons, messages, blogs, and books to encourage people in their walk with Christ. And he describes his work as humbling and vulnerable, which I, I bet the listener tuning in would like to grow in the area of communication. And uh, that's a good description. There you go. It can be humbling and vulnerable, just a soul bearing process that keeps him dependent, expected and grounded on Christ coming at us today from Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, Steve, we want to dive in right away. I think it's worth noting that, man, you are one of the most gifted teachers and preachers that I've heard or connected with. And I'd love it if we could go there first. And could you share what has been your teaching and preaching journey with us today? Yeah, well, again, thank you guys so much for having me. I, I've been really looking forward to it. And I love I love your heart just for um, young leaders. And just I feel like for many of um, for many people just growing up like uh, and stepping into ministry, they feel isolated or they feel alone. And I wouldn't be where I am without the guides that just took an interest in me, um, kind of the gatherings that I got to be a part of, the rooms uh, that I got to be in that I didn't deserve to be in. Um, and so I, I in college was a film major, um, was at Cal State Fullerton University out in Orange County, uh, was playing basketball and uh, play is not the right word. I was uh, sitting the bench, but I got free shoes. And so uh, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I was a Christian and I had the chance my senior year to baptize my mom and my sophomore year of college to baptize my dad. Oh, my word. Awesome. And yeah, my, my dad really had this like uh, kind of like charismatic moment in the sense of coming out of the baptism water 
And he just felt like God say, sell everything and move to Grand Rapids. And, wow. and that, that was, that was not something that happened one in our church context Two, my dad was a new believer and he was like a business guy that, um, I just, for him to hear something like this and then go, is this God? Is this how God works? That's like literally what he asked me. And so I'm like, I, th I think that's how God works. And so we put the house up for sale. They sold the company. Um, and within like three months, we were in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And there was a church getting started um, out there. And I, I just showed up the first time and got turned away by a farm fire marshal. There was way too many people there. And I was like, what is going on? I show up the next week. Um, and, you know, like you're, you know, 18, 19, 20, something like you're showing up like, you know, 10 minutes late. So I, you know, and I show up five minutes late the next week. I still get turned away by a fire marshal. The third week I have to sneak into the church and there, I think they're at like week eight of this church plant. And they're going through the book of Leviticus chapter by chapter. That's how they launched the church. And I was like, what is going on? And the worship was just kind of like, you know, the, the, the guitarist would start a song and then he'd be like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. My guitar is out of tune. And he'd retune the song and then they would do it over. And there's 3000 people that are literally in this room. And then this guy gets up, everyone starts opening their Bibles he just tells you the page number and you just heard the sound of people turning pages. And I was like, this is amazing because it was one of the first times I had heard somebody hmm. who was speaking to the depth of the text, but actually to the way the world was working in their context. And it was just really, really beautiful. So um, I, this was like 1999. So I, I end up like saying, hey, I think I want to do this. I knew I wanted to go into film to tell stories. So I go back to California. There's a Christian college across the street. I end up majoring in biblical studies and preaching. Well, this pastor, he ends up going to Israel and a guy pulls him aside and says, hey, it's great that you speak to the masses, but Jesus never changed the world by speaking to the masses. He changed the world by having disciples. So who are you pouring your life into? And this guy I looked at his wife and they didn't have an answer. And on the flight home, somehow in their prayer time, my name came up. They invited me uh, to graduate. I remember they called me from the Grand Rapids airport. They said, hey, graduate as fast as you can. We'll teach you everything we know. And you can come live in our basement and we'll change the world one West Michigan at a time. And so I did. And I, I ended up spending uh, a year just studying with him. I thought I'd end up going to seminary. I ended up staying on staff there kind of as a teacher and overseeing um, kind of young adults and uh, student ministries. And then from there, I went to a church called Rock Harbor. And Rock Harbor was in Costa Mesa, California, and I was there uh, for about five years. That's where I had interned when I was in college. And so uh, it was very familiar. And then from there, uh, I was invited to join the staff at Willow Creek and was there seven years and um, had uh, joined kind of as like a teacher at large and evangelism director and then ended up being a part of their succession plan until I stepped out in 2018. So I've had these really, really unique contacts and opportunities. Oh, I would say oh my, my first, my first place I was at taught me a compelling why about the beauty of the text, about the kingdom of God, about the Jewish roots. And then when I was at Rock Harbor, it, it really introduced me to the Holy Spirit. And because I kind of grew up in Father, Son, Holy Bible as my Trinity and, and learning about the, the person and the gifting of the spirit. And then I, I feel like at uh, Willow, I really learned a compelling what 
basically mobilizing a group of people, uh, scale, how to actually do something when it comes to leadership and to see something actually like not just shape a person, but yes, a person, but persons and many of them. And so I just feel very, very gifted for where God has allowed me to go. Pastor Steve, thank you so much for sharing that journey that you've been on your entire life. And I think the, the best part of like what I find joy in while you share that story is the fact that you can look back on each chapter and each location and to identify what characteristic God was really, you know, working on in your heart, allowing you to grow in and giving you those responsibilities along the way. So true. And we know that many of our listeners are pastors, they're teachers, they're preachers. Um, maybe they're landing their first job in young adult ministry, or maybe it's a hybrid of youth and young adult, or, I mean, it's a, could be a conglomeration of a lot of different things and their journeys obviously are very different than anybody else's. Everybody's so interesting and unique and, um, the road that God has them on. But one area that we see and we desire, but many people ask us is how do I become a better teacher, preacher, um, interpreter of the gospel? How do I you know, take people there with me and paint that picture of the biblical text. So I'd just be curious to ask you, what is your personal preaching process? Like, do you have something that God has really illuminated to you or a passion of how you learn is kind of exposed through your teaching? How would you answer that today? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think for anybody who's listening, if you communicate, the temptation is to transfer information rather than speak from a transformed place. And it's really, really easy because yeah. content is available anywhere so that you can, you can just, you know, listen to Stephen Furtick. You can, you can listen to, you know, Judah Smith, you can read something and then just transfer that without ever having to embody it or live it. And so the, the, the thing I would tell the youngest, the young, younger communicators is you have to create space and, and, the ideas that you are learning right now, they, they ought to be preparing for messages months down the road because, and and again, it's, it's, it's like marinating over uh, this is when, when you marinate steak or when you marinate like a meal or fish, like it, it just soaks in. I just don't think right now in a efficient go, 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 like, just pushing. I think so many of us, it's easier for us just to take from somebody else rather than to live it for ourselves. So I just say first and foremost for me, it's like, what is God shaping and showing me? Secondly is most people first, when they get a passage that they know that they're going to teach on, they run to scholars and commentaries, which again, there's no shade on that. I I understand. I just would say, uh, you are the authority for your context. Like Scott McKnight doesn't know what your context is like leading young adults in a city in Minnesota. So like for, for you, you have to understand, well, what is the ache? Every person coming into your congregation or into a gathering or service, whatever you call it, they have an ache and they have desire. And the problem is, is oftentimes we have shamed desires. So people don't know what to do with good desires. And so part of our teaching when we're writing a message or looking at the text is trying to really uncover what is the personal ache that this text will expose in my people? What is the good desire that this text can call out? And what is the unique stronghold 
that our kind of area that we live in that this text will address. And, and if you can begin to have eyes to see the ache, the desire, the stronghold, well, then you, then you can go to that text and start to ask questions. So, for instance, when I was in um, Barrington, uh, Illinois, South Barrington, where Willow Creek was, you know, the stronghold was for high school students and young adults was was not peer pressure like I grew up with. It was like self-imposed pressure. Um, and it wasn't the, the kind of pressure to just uh, go to college. It was the pressure to go to a Big Ten school and not just sure. like any Big Ten school, but like even to, to go to an Ivy League school. Yeah. So all of a sudden you just you felt that this there was so much pressure. So part of when I would look at a text is going, how do I if I'm speaking to the young adults, how do I how am I addressing the enemy stronghold? of pressure that was leading to death by suicide or just rampant anxiety and all, all of this stuff. So again, that's how I go to it. From there, I, I pose some questions. Then I, I go to the commentary, see what they have to say. Is there anything that sticks out? Um, I take copious notes. I probably have about 12 pages of notes. Then I take my notes and I start to move them to like note cards. And I, I, I almost storyboard it. And I was a film major. And so I storyboard my talk. Most people tend to preach their messages like in Roman numeral one, A, B, one, two, three, da, da, da. I, I think about it in re regards to energy. And, and so I will line my note cards up in a row, but then I'll begin to move them to go. If, am I starting at an eight with this story right from the jump? And then do I do I bring it down with a question to a two? And so I just will map out. It looks like a stock market graph, um, yeah. my talk. And then I just I just try to internalize it. And I just bring those note cards everywhere. Yeah. And again, just trying to live in it um, as best I can. So it's a lot longer process, but that's kind of like it basically, you know, brought down to a to, you know, a few minutes kind of uh, description. Pastor Steve, I feel like that's such a gift to the young listener, to the young leader mm -hmm. who feels the, and just senses the call of God on their life to proclaim the gospel to their generation. And especially um, in a day where we're maybe more aware than ever of who the other preachers are or how the other preachers and teachers teach and preach. Mm -hmm. I think where you started is such incredible advice of to, to really approach it with a different goal than just passing along information. Right. Here you go. There you go. And instead of just aim to be personally transformed, mm -hmm. I think is such a pure hearted approach and a gift to us and the listener. I will bring up, by the way, your podcast right here, mm -hmm. the craft and character with Steve Carter. I just say for the person who was like, Oh, I wish you would just keep talking for another hour or two about teaching and preaching. That's been a fun, um, listen for me on my walks, on my, you know, walking our daughters through the neighborhood or working out and stuff. But Along with that, I've met Pastor Steve, you on a Sunday where you were teaching at Willow Creek, you were throwing a section community party um, for the international section, and you spent time just to deposit. And so I also have met other young leaders who've learned from you in kind of the teaching, preaching, track and programming. One of the things I'm curious about for a young adult pastor or campus ministry leader listening, and even ourselves, how do we as leaders 
equip and empower maybe staff that we're working with or interns or volunteers in the now generation, in the next generations to come within our ministries to find their voices and their own style of preaching or teaching? That's a really great question. <clears throat> I think uh, a couple of things that, that come to, to mind right away is you have to know your voice, right? So, so you have to do the work um, of actually the hard work of discerning your voice. You know, the Beatles, uh, they, they spent you know, nine months in Berlin and they just played six days a week. You know, Malcolm Gladwell details this in Outliers and that's where yes. they honed their sound, you know? And, and I think for many of us, we have to, um, we have to learn like what's our sound. And again, I think for, for many of us, when we're younger, it's easier to be a poor reflection or copy uh, uh, of some other person we're seeing on Instagram rather than do the hard work. And, and again, there's, wow. yeah, there, there's, there's a struggle because anything that's beautiful is going to come across resistance. Stephen Pressfield, uh, who wrote the legend of Baggard Vance, he wrote the book, the, the, the war of art, um, not the art of war, but the war of art. And what he's, what he's talking about is the difference between being an amateur and a professional. And he says that every person who is a professional at their craft fights through resistance. He talks about how Hitler was an artist. And he said that, that Hitler uh, sold like, or got his inheritance, went to Vienna, studied art, but came back. And he said, he said this line, it was easier for Hitler to create world wars than to face a blank canvas. And, wow. and I think, oh I think for, for many young communicators mm -hmm. to kind of face like an, an, a word document screen that's blank or just looking at a text and they're like, I don't, I can't, I don't know what to do. And so sometimes we bypass the personal desert of the preaching to try and get to the delivery, the promised land. And I think the best talks are, are kind of mined through that. So, um, so I think that's important. The second thing is oftentimes leaders try to create carbon copies of themselves wow. or they surround people who remind them of themselves. Hmm. I think the best leaders have to see themselves more like a general manager on a basketball team or football team, or more like a point guard. And their job is to actually say, okay, this person, like, what do, what do they bring? What do they bring? What, what can I call them, you know, up in a way that they can rise to this occasion? How do I call them in to like the deeper streams? And then how do I call them out in a, in a way that's really going to have them have to take risks and grow in dependency and expectancy that God wants to use them? So, so for me, I'm just kind of thinking through what are those leaders that I go, gosh, some, some, some leaders that God has put around me, um, I know I could have, I could have used my power to make them serve me. It just, it just wasn't best for them and it wasn't best for their development. So I had to create space so that they could literally like have the, the ability to spread their wings, but I knew that they would leave the nest and that was hard. And so, and sometimes I didn't take that really well because at first I was like, why are they all leaving? And finally, it was like a mentor goes, because you keep developing them to send them out. And he's like, that's actually more biblical. And I'm like, oh, my. So so I think sometimes you, you look and you go, 
God, you've entrusted me with this leader for a season. Maybe they'll stay forever. Thanks be to God. But maybe my job is to prepare them and send them out. So how do I, how do I not get protective, but how do I empower? And last thing I'd say is my friend, Chris Williams is a great therapist. He would talk about, this is a conversation about the power that you have. And oftentimes in development situations where we're, we power over, we power mm -hmm. up, or sometimes we've been around not great leaders who actually are like powerless and they actually don't necessarily know how to bring anything out of us, but really empowerment is literally to is power with how you can use your gifts to actually propel that person forward so that they can be all that God created them to be. That's Pastor Steve, that's so, I think you're speaking our language. Like even some of the words <laughs> that you just use, like propel. And those, those, those are passions of our hearts of to bless and send people. They come right. through our ministry. We're not going to keep them till Jesus comes. Um, we'll take them as long as they <laughs> want to stay. But you know what I mean? Like we have an opportunity to create space and to create opportunities for young adults, for leaders, for our teams to grow, to flourish, to discover more of who God created them to be, not who we want them to be for the ministry. Like you said, I don't ever want to create somebody essentially who is self-serving me or serving wow. my needs or my dreams and my desire. Um, we cast vision as leaders and people naturally come alongside and they help create the culture and the vision of the ministry or where the ultimate goal is or where we're taking people where we've come from and where we want to be like those are all amazing things and um i know that we received your book that you've just been working on and it's a mysterious title if you ask me it's like the thing beneath the thing right it kind of sounds like the loch ness monster like <laughs> the thing beneath the thing and I know that God, um, just reading the back of the book, I won't take it away from the reader right now, but we, looking through this and reading um, just the highlights and reading the back of the book and just looking at the creativity for and sure. just everything about this book, I really enjoy. Even the feel of it. I'm like, I'm a nerd. I was smelling books. I'm like, it smells like school. <laughs> I literally was sitting in the backyard and said that with Josiah and I were back there making these questions for you. But we know that God has obviously and clearly mm. placed a message on your heart for the church today through this book specifically. What do you hope the reader walks away with after they've, you know, put this in their hands and started taking notes and maybe just started allowing God to dissect aspects of themselves when it comes to what is the thing beneath the thing? <laughs> well, this, this book really came because I, I didn't have a guide in my twenties. I didn't have like a map going forward. Wow. And, and, and the more that I've done story work, the more that I've actually done work into the trauma or the abuse or the struggle in my story, I realize the healthier I've gotten. And so Paul writes in Romans 715, he says, the good I want to do, or he says, um, I don't understand what I do. <laughs> this is Paul who writes the majority of the New Testament going, I do not understand what I do. Now, I'm married, been married 17 years. I like to quote scripture. But when I say something dumb, like I'm a, I just, I don't follow through. This isn't a passage of scripture I can just quote to my wife, babe, just like Paul. I do not understand what I do. She looks at me and she goes, 
start understanding, right? And because and then and then the second yeah. sentence, Paul's like, the good, <laughs> the good I want to do, I just don't do, but the thing I hate, I do. And I think every young leader can understand this. They know yeah. that God has put some good purpose, good opportunity before them, but somehow, some way, some reason, we self-sabotage. Wow. Instead yeah. of choosing the good, we choose something else. And so this was my best attempt after doing ministry for 20 some years, people coming into my you know, office, sharing their story. And I started to wonder, why do people do what they do? Or better said, why do I do what I do? And I realized uh, there was the, these themes that began to resonate. And so this is a book that I think will help people really dive into why they do what they do, why they do the things they hate. And give them a profoundly wider understanding of what grace has to say all about it. So there's um, a lot of questions in the book. There's a lot of just like introspection, a lot of storytelling. I'm just trying to almost blend the, the beauty of the scriptures with some really helpful like counseling and therapy with spiritual formation in a way that I hope and help will invite people to be um, more whole and holy and spiritually healthy disciples and leaders for, for Christ's glory. Yeah. Well, for the person listening, I just want to read a quick little thing on the back of the book, which automatically stands out to me because I think those are all desires. If we desire more of God, we should desire more of these things because these are aspects of who he is and his attributes. And obviously, Pastor Steve, like you help us discern those things in our lives that keep us from living out the joy, peace, and purpose of which God has created us. And the process of healing lies in discovering the T-H-I-N-G. So if you haven't got the book, um, I'm just going to read the five things. And the T is triggers, hideouts, insecurities, narratives, and grace. And those are just five things that I think you expound upon very well in helping us in our personal lives identify what in the world is holiness back and how do we truly uncover what God has designed us to do and discover that along the way while not heaping the shame or the guilt or the, am I too old? Is it too late mentality? Because the answer is never too, it's never too late. And we're never, we're never going to stop learning. If we're true believers of Christ, like we should always desire more of who he is and what he has for us in that process. So you got to get the book. That's all I got to (laughs) say. Yes. And um, one of the things, Steve, that you just had illuminated to was kind of like a theme so far has been like doing some hard work. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think of the process of whether it is teaching or preaching or our own spiritual formation, there's kind of no healthy shortcuts along the process. And one of the things that I've been learning probably since being married is that pretending that that conflict isn't there doesn't mean that it disappears. Like ignoring the problem doesn't make it go away. Well, they would call that a false harmony. Yeah, exactly. It actually (laughs) produces false harmony. And something that I'd love to, as we kind of dive into the thing beneath the thing, would you be willing to share with us some of your own journey of uncovering some hurts, maybe some hurdles or hangups from your past to become healed healthy and whole through the power of the Holy spirit. Yeah. So, you know, the, the way that, uh, Michael, you walked through the, the five, the triggers. And so, 
um, what, I, what I believe is when we do the things we hate, it's because we got triggered. And, and every time we get triggered, um, that represents a, a, a past pain point. So a number of years ago, I came home from a, a meeting. I was, I was hot. I was frustrated. I felt like this guy minimized me in a conversation and minimized the idea that I was trying to share. And I, my ideas are personal to me. Like I'm connected to them. Yeah. And so I just felt, I felt a little frustrated. So I came home, I'm talking to my wife, looking for a little spousal support. Um, but she, uh, she doesn't give it. And she looks at me and she goes, isn't God so kind? I'm like, what do you mean? God's so kind. Like this guy was a jerk, like half my back. I'm like, why is God so kind? And she goes, God's so kind because he keeps bringing people into your life who remind you of that one person who deeply wounded you. And until you have the courageous curiosity to deal with that, your life will be held in check and you will be looking for ways to escape. And that, that, that was a game changer because I realized every time now that I get triggered, it is connected to a deeper pain point that I have just not had the courageous curiosity to literally deal with. So when we get triggered, we're going to go somewhere. All Oftentimes we, we get triggered and we feel the permission to go to a hideout. We sure. feel the permission, which when I say hideout, it's a metaphorical place. We go to escape the pain. So yeah. we can do that in socially acceptable ways like ministry. We can do that in socially acceptable ways like food. We can do it in socially unacceptable ways. And there's a whole litany of things. Mm -hmm. Or we get triggered and, and we automatically, we create a false story about ourselves. And that's insecurity. And all of a sudden, we just start to play small. Ah, oh, man, I'm so terrible. I have nothing to offer. Or we get triggered and we create false stories about others, narratives. But when we have the courageous curiosity we can literally begin to invite sanctifying grace in. And that's, that's, the, that's the process. And so, Jose, you, you, you nailed it. I think there was a, there was a, a band called Brand New um, from way back. And they, they, they had this album where the, the lead singer was really wrestling with matters of faith. And um, he wasn't a believer, but just really in his own way, talking about the flesh like I have these desires and then I have these like hopes and he's really talking about it. And this one song is called Jesus Christ. And he says this line that I think speaks to so many people in our congregations. He goes, Jesus Christ, what did you do those three days that you were dead? Cause this problem is going to last more than the weekend. And I, and I think that for many, many people, they go, Oh, I said yes to Christ. I'm like washed. I'm clean. I'm set free. Hmm. And then the temptation comes back. The trigger happens and they run to the hideout. The trigger yeah. happens and they, they run to these false stories about themselves or about others. And all of a sudden they're like, it's, it must be me. It looks like it's working with her or him, but something's wrong with me. And, and, and here's the, here's the beauty. Dallas Willard, who is one of the, the wisest people I've ever had the privilege to be around said this wow. grace is opposed to earning. So we can't earn grace. So grace is opposed to earning, but he says, grace is never opposed to effort. And, and the effort it requires to have the sanctifying grace wow. get into every pain or trauma or, or lie from the pit of hell that was spoken into our lives or abuse that we've experienced, that takes effort. That's the hard work. And the more that we can lean into that, the more that we can experience the freedom in Christ, the freedom the spirit offers. And through that, that's when we can walk in wholeness and holiness and health that actually inspires other people. 
Oh my gosh, Pastor Steve, I think that um, I'm just doing some intro, introspection on my own life when you, when you share that. And the, the thing that I'm drawn to right now is you live in Arizona. It's, it's one of our favorite places to come and, and to go to or to visit. And um, in seasons where I've been deeply introspective or come out of a, a challenging situation or transition, one of the, you know, for sure, Dallas will have one of the other kind of, I would say, authors who has just a really deep well is Dr. Alicia Britcholi. And she writes on this concept of the desert, the wilderness, and kind of maybe a hidden season or in her vernacular, like an anonymous season. And um, there's narratives that we tell ourselves. There's narratives that are spoken over us in rooms that we aren't even maybe in a part of, that we don't get to speak or, or be a part of the process too. But as we kind of look at narratives, if I can have you connect mm -hmm. narratives with the idea of just wilderness or your experiences in seasons of desert where it was the past number of years or even maybe more of a metaphorical sense. Yeah, that's great. Well, the thing I would say is I, when I was a junior high pastor, I would always say this to parents. Kids are very perceptive. They're just crappy interpreters of reality. So they can perceive something, but it's the stories that they create based on what they're perceiving. So mom and dad are fighting. So they go, oh, no, mom and dad are fighting because of me. Oh, no, mom and dad are getting a divorce. Mom and dad are getting a divorce because of me. And all of a sudden, what they've just taken is just this perception of what they saw and what their parents were arguing. And they, they internalized it and interpreted it in a way that was unhealthy. So this is, this is what we typically do with ourselves. This is what we typically do with others. So this is where you have the victim mindset. You go insecurity. You create a false story by yourself. And all of a sudden, like, oh, everyone's out to get me. You perceive something. Again, you don't have healthy guides. You don't have healthy mentors. You don't have a healthy understanding of the situation. The same thing happens with narratives. All of a sudden, you go, man, I am perceiving something. And this, this person's triggered me. Oh, and now I'm going to villainize them. And I've interpreted them as an enemy. I've interpreted them as against me. I've interpreted them by, and here's, here's the truth. Typically that person is unaware of your triggers. So true. So, so they're making decisions, not knowing. And all of a sudden you're going, it feels personal that they didn't invite me to that meeting. It feels personal that they didn't text me back. It feels personal that they didn't invite me to that after party, whatever, da -da. you know, and all of a sudden we start creating stories. The same thing's true. What we do with God. And so what ends up happening is the Hebrew people, they, they, they did not need to spend 40 years in the desert. The right. desert, the desert was, less than a hundred days walk from where they started. Yep. And so they could have gotten there, but here's the truth is that God was trying to help them. If you read Deuteronomy eight, he was trying to actually help them unlearn some stuff. Wow. And every, every one of us, no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how long we've been a, a pastor, a leader in front of people on a stage, we all have, stuff that we need to learn about God, relearn about God and unlearn about God mm -hmm. and the desert or that anonymous season, the wilderness, the wild is, is those moments where there is the stripping away. 
you know, and sometimes, sometimes it's just little things that, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a great pastor unless I have 2000 followers on Instagram. I'm not really a great teacher unless I get invited to this event. I'm not really a great leader unless I have this many people show up. Like who, who told you that? But we think it, I've thought, uh, it. I've thought each right. of those. Yeah. yeah. Right. So like all of a sudden that's stuff that you go, okay, that I have to unlearn that. Right. And that's, I, I'm not doing this for other people. I'm doing this for, for Christ. And, and again, that's, that's part of that desert season is doing this. Mm-hmm. The second thing I'd say to it is when I was in Israel, I met with this rabbi and I said, Hey, seems like the three primary metaphors, Egypt, which was a place of slavery and, and bondage, the promised land, which is, you know, place of milk and honey and, and flourishing and the desert. I said, like, this is a weird question, but if, if, if you had to think about, you know, the Hebrew people, how much, how much time and you're, and you're ministering to the people in your synagogue, how many, how much time do you think people spend in the course of their life, in their own personal Egypt, in their own personal desert, in their own personal promised land? And he says, you Americans are so funny. You think everything is about the promised land. He's like, not us. We think 10 to 15% is in Egypt. 10 to 15% is in the promised land and 70 to 80% in the desert. Like we are desert people. The problem is right now, our world is saying, no, 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 no. You're promised land people. Like you, you are, you are, you are supposed to live here. And I think, I think the desert being here, reading the desert mothers and fathers, hiking, walking in the heat, walking, I am discovering a depth with Jesus, wow. a dependency in Christ, a, a sense that God is actually with me and for me. So um, I think many younger leaders are afraid of the desert. All I would say is it's going to find you. So prepare yourself now for it so that you are ready to walk it wow. with an open heart and open mind, humility and obedience and trust, because it's in that shaping and forming that God will prepare you for what he has in store for you. Yes, those are the hard things that we we don't have to do. We get to do if we choose so, right? right. I think so many times like we think that God's gonna make us do something that we don't wanna do, but it comes with a willing heart and willing hands and willingness to serve him in that process. and. I just want to go back to something you said, and this is just my interpretation. And I've been there. And it's if you tell your story, if you tell yourself a story long enough, you will begin to believe it. And I think so many times we get stuck in that vicious circle of the the, the thing beneath the thing. And we just what's tripping us up, what's triggering us, what's this? And if we don't work through and cultivate a mindset like Christ and truly be transformed and know the God thoughts that he has about us versus the human thoughts that have been said about us, I think we get stuck in this guilt. We get stuck in this shame. But on the other side of guilt and shame is the extended hand of Christ through grace. And uh, Pastor Steve, I would just be so curious to see um, just your response. Like you have written on the back of the book, because I just love this the place where you discover how to become whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. What would you say to somebody who maybe has not even extended grace to themselves or experienced the true grace of God, perhaps, or maybe you don't even know how to extend that grace to others that they're leading? How would you encourage them in one or all three of those areas today when it comes to just the word grace? 
Yeah. So, I, you know, for me, again, grace is opposed to earning, never opposed to effort. And so where I had to take some healthy inventory was where do I feel like grace is lacking? Where do I, where do I feel that when, man, and I get triggered and I keep running to this hideout mm-hmm. or I keep telling myself this story that's just grounded in insecurity, or I tell this story about other people. I'm really good at creating villains in my, in my life. Well, grace wants to go after that. Right. And so that's, that begins what, you know, Dallas would require, would, would call the renovation of the heart. And so, um, for me, there's a process that Dallas would teach, and, and it was called VIM, vision, intention, and means. And, and I think oftentimes we, too many leaders know the vision of their ministry and not the vision of their life for the season. They can tell you the vision for what they're trying to accomplish at their church, but they can't tell you the personal vision that they have that God is trying to shape and form. And so I I encourage every young leader, have a vision. So my vision right now is a life anchored in Jesus is one that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. I wake up every morning. I think about that. I pray that. I, I, I then, when you have a vision that you can remember that you know, now every day you're going to have these choices. And the I in in Dallas's language of vim, vision, intention. Now I can live with intention. Am I going to intentionally choose to live into that vision? Or am I going to go, I don't want to be anchored to Christ in this moment, or I'm going to try and prove, or I'm I'm afraid I'm going to lose something, or I'm going to just keep a little deception here and not have anybody figure this out. And, And here's the thing underneath that is intention would be the battle of three wills. The first is the impulsive will, which we would know as the flesh, where you just do what you want to do, or you have the reflective will. And that's where you have a choice that comes at you and you literally reflect, will this choice help me embody a life anchored in Jesus? But what's underneath the impulsive will and the reflective will is what Dallas refers to as the embodied will. And that's muscle memory because there's muscle memory based on your choices. So if your impulsive will, when you get triggered is to pick up your phone, Every time you pick up your phone, you are building that muscle, right? Yeah. But the moments where you actually say, I'm not going to use that as a hideout to escape. I'm actually going to go spend a moment and bring this before God or go for a walk. You're building muscle memory to embody your vision. Lastly, vision, intention, means are the practices, the methods. Again, nobody drifts towards holiness. Mm-hmm. Nobody one day wakes up and goes, this is the craziest thing. I'm Billy Graham. No, no, no. He's like, ta-da, here it is. I'm patient, right? Like you become patient by putting yourselves in situations and actually having practices that are going to develop and open your heart and mind to what the spirit of God wants to do to develop that patience within you. So you have to ask yourself, well, what's the means? What's the method that's going to help prepare me the practices so that I can embody my vision. So with nothing to prove, there's seasons where like for a couple months, I, there was just days that I just, I did walks and I, I, my practice was like, stay anonymous. There's stuff that I want to post on social media. I don't like, there's just stuff that I'm doing in silence and solitude, because again, you, it's hard to prove when nobody gets to hear about it. You're just, and so that's a practice for me. Again, I'm doing this so that my heart can be shaped so that a uniquely graced moment can happen within me to prepare me for what he has in store for me. So that's what I would say is for any young leader, create that vision, know it, 
make choices that help you embody that vision, but give yourself practices that are kind of prepare you and teach you so that you have what it takes when adversity comes. That's so good. I feel like Josiah and I are like a deer in headlights because I think I'm we're absorbing everything and I'm like taking notes and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I want to go back and listen to everything you just said. So if you're a listener, yeah. hit that pause button, rewind, start over, grab a pen and paper, grab a notebook, grab whatever you need because there's some gold in there to sift through. <laughs> what a gift, Pastor Steve. And uh, greetings and goodbyes. It seems like I've been paying more attention to them, whether it's Paul's writings, almost yeah. every um, letter that he's writing, whether it's Ephesians, it's it's grace and peace to you. And something I've noticed on your greetings and goodbyes on social media, when you do post something, you almost always give that same grace and peace. And um, I just feel prompted because of maybe my own experiences that if there's somebody listening today and you recognize that God gives you grace and you give grace readily to other people, but you're having a tough time giving yourself grace or receiving grace from God. I just think that I'm passionate to bring that up because I've been a beneficiary of God's grace. And sometimes it's the hardest part is extending myself grace. We can maybe be our own worst critic or our own worst enemy. And so that would be my encouragement or blessing that I would speak over the listener is that I would really encourage you to pause and give yourself some grace to do uh, today. And as we do that, Pastor Steve, we're going to go into one of our favorite parts, which is five final thoughts in five minutes, kind of a two minute drill in five minutes, if you will, or a three point shootout or a home run derby, whatever you choose. (laughs) Are you warmed up for that? I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. I'll kick us off. Question number one, Pastor Steve, if you could describe yourself in three words, what would they be? Preacher, coach, sports. You've got a podcast with, with, you know, both of those preaching and sports, different podcasts Um, for the leader, just starting out. What would you say about starting strong and finishing well? Yes. Um, that's a great one. Gosh, that's a, that's a, that's a huge question. Okay. So, so starting well, uh, stay humble, finishing well, stay humble, starting well, stay curious, finishing well, stay curious, starting well, stay grateful, finishing well, stay grateful. Those are like the three essentials for spiritual formation, curiosity, humility, and gratitude. Be that and run the race and you'll see what God does in you and with you and through you and for you. That is great. I'm wrapping that one up fast. Wow. Okay. Question Sheesh. number three. This is the curveball. If you could ask Josiah and myself a question, what would you ask us today? I I would want to know what triggers you. I would want to know about your last fight. I'm more like I would want to know like what what is you know the the thing beneath the thing in your marriage. Like where you go when. One of, one of the things I do in premarital counseling is I, I, I make a couple put together a, a piece of Ikea furniture because uh, always, always stuff comes up out of that. But I, but I always want to know where you go when you get triggered. So for me, it's, it's just a way for me to get to know you better, but I would just want to start pressing on what's the thing beneath the thing between you two. For sure. Okay, this week, um, we're, you know, we're, Mike is recovering from a C-section. 
Um, we have at the time of recording this, a three and a half week old and a 16 month old. So we're, there's yeah, some things. There's and then so do many it, stories I can tell them laughing. Doing fall launch of the ministry. So I'm just setting a backdrop. Yeah. And this week, um, I just feel like <laughs> that's a lot going on. And where I go is we have an opportunity this afternoon to pick up a couch, get it um, in the back of somebody's truck that we're going to borrow. We're going to um, try to get it in our basement and we're not 100% sure about the measurements. And then we're going to try to get the old couch from downstairs upstairs. So that's not on my mind. And, and this is important to Micah, so it is important to me, but just fully honest, I'm being really raw, real and vulnerable. I've been overwhelmed and impatient and frustrated just because of the timing of it. It's like, man, it'd be great <laughs> next month. Or if, if you were healed, or if I could find a buddy to come over, which is what I'm trying to do to help me out with some of this. But I think I put a lot on myself and I expect a lot of myself and it's maybe hard for me to ask for the help that I really need. Ooh. Okay. Here's the thing. I am spontaneous. So for example, I'll set the backdrop in a different way. I told Josiah one day, Hey, I'm going to go downstairs and clean the bathroom. Okay. Three hours later, he comes down. He's like, how big do you think this bathroom is? Like there's a toilet, a stand-up shower and a sink and a small floor. Like it is not that big. Well, what I wanted to do, and I didn't tell him, and I started it almost finished by the time he come down is I had removed the whole popcorn ceiling of the basement. So he comes downstairs and it's like kitty litter looking like junk all over the floor. He's like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, most done. don't worry about it. I'm like, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So I think I have this uh, incessant need to create. And I said, when we got married, before we got married, I said, like, what is one thing if I asked you to stop doing would truly like kill you and kill who kill the character that God has created you to be. Ooh, that's good. That's he good. answered his and he said, I'm a lifelong learner. If you told me that I couldn't like go, um, go to conferences, if I couldn't mentor, if I couldn't be mentored, if I couldn't like all these relationship things to personally grow. And then he said, Mike, what would yours be? And I said, if you asked me to stop creating, to stop painting, to stop refur furnishing, refurbishing, demoing, I'm like, if you remove that from me, like, I like to find things and make them beautiful. Yeah. So for instance, um, with that, along with the couch, we had, we call them mattress moments because oh, there's no. one day oh, we, no. we were not even married yet. Oh, no. This is longer than a minute. <laughs> we were not even married yet. And here's the deal. I was like, Josiah, I'm moving out. We're engaged. My roommate that left, left her queen size mattress. I can't dump it at my apartment. What do I do? And he's just like, well, I have no idea. Like, what do you want to do with it? And I go, hey, I talked to this gal from church. It's a garbage pickup days in the community, but we can't do it at our apartment, but I can take it on the top of my SUV, put it on, put it on the top, drop it off in your front yard and leave. And needless to say, it's one of those old, heavy, heavy duty mattresses that my <laughs> left. So I was frustrated, like, okay, leave your junk for me to take care of. Josiah naturally does not enjoy moving to begin with and let alone moving for fun. So by the time we're all said and done, we're dating and I'm just ticked because he's frustrated and I'm frustrated because he's frustrated at a mattress. And then we get it, we throw it off in the yard and I just burst out laughing. I was like, if this is how frustrated you're going to get over a mattress, my God, should we even talk about marriage? Like this is insanity. And so when we have those moments, I'm like, is this a mattress moment? Are we having yeah. a mattress moment right now? Because we're both frustrated, like at the object and each other and the timing and the awkwardness of 
everything. So literally less than 24 hours ago, that was the couch moment. So where we go, I think is we laugh at the end of everything because we're just like, this is so stupid. Yeah. So, I mean, the best thing we can do is laugh at each other. Oh, it's so good. I love I love getting to like learn that about you guys. That's fantastic. And I love that you've named it a mattress moment. I think it's really, really good for any any young leaders that are listening, like because you're going to have those in your in your relationships. But then two, just say, I love that you were like just the man, it's hard for me to give that grace to myself. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's just in those moments or just in, in part of marriage, like, you know, with the mattress story, you're you're going to have people who give you something that you don't deserve or don't take care of something that they should that now gets left in your lap to take care of. And it's frustrating. Yeah. So it's like, it's just all of that. Uh, so thank you for your humanity. I love that. Loved it. So that's too funny. I don't think we've ever shared that story or either of us actually, because it's so new. The first, the second one. It's, it's oh good. Well, as we tie a bow on it and wrap it up, I'm glad we went there too. That's funny. Um, but pastor Steve, as we close, why do you believe young adult ministry is important? Well, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's important for for so many so many reasons. And the the f- first is, I mean, if you go back to Jesus, uh, he had young adults that he entrusted the story of God with. Um, you know, I, I think we we always think that they were much much older than they actually were. Um, they weren't. They were young adults and. I think, um, I think with that for me, um, is just, just a primary reason to say, Hey, this is how Jesus did his ministry. I want to orient around young adults too. I think, um, there's a passion, there's a fire, there's a freedom, there is a, a longing, a yearning, um, that I think, gosh, like if that is harnessed in the right direction, um, the potential's endless. So, um, I think, I think the world needs more of it. I think that they, again, people are always going to say they're the leaders, future and the future leaders of the church. And no, they're the leaders of today. Right. I, I, you know, for me, it's like, I just think deep down, if, if you shape them, well, it shapes the next two generations. Well, yeah. if you don't shape this generation, well, then all of a sudden these next two generations that follow them, are just are going to be following in their wake. And, and I just go, it's so important for my great grandkids that we get this, that just generation, right. If that makes sense. That's an incredible thought to leave our listeners with today. Pastor Steve, thank you so much for joining us. We are so thrilled to have you here. Awesome. Thank you guys. Love what you're doing all about it. And, uh, anyways, I can serve you just like, let, let me know for, for, for you guys. I love it. Well, you can find out more about Pastor Steve Carter and the thing beneath the thing when you connect with us on our website at youngadults.today, as well across all of our other social media platforms at youngadults.today. Until next time, this is Micah and Josiah Keneally. Thank you for letting us share our mattress moment with you today. (laughs) And we are thrilled to let you know that we'll be having more amazing guests coming your way. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Right now. Me. I'm getting judged up right now, yeah.